When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show podcast. Love podcasts, hate nonsense. It's the Politics Show podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good evening, good evening, Islamists. Ladies <laughs> and our audience, it's you two specifically. Oh, um, oh. Well, I, no, I'll give you a choice. You can be an Islamist, an anti-Semite, or the hard left. Oh, Which are you? The hard left, I think. Yeah. What are we supposed to do, like, pick? The one that we're most radically not. So like, if wait, <laughs> okay. well, if that's if that's the if that's the parameters of the game, I'd like something to think about it. <laughs> Ed's head clicking, clacking. Uh-huh. Was Suella Bradman writing about you? Do you think? No, I don't, I, I don't think she was. To be <laughs> Were you her muse? Yeah, me and Suella were chewing the fat. Mm. Islamism. I said, Suella, write this down. This is gold. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to get people talking. Uh, do you think she has a writer's room? <laughs> yeah, all the people who aren't good looking enough all to be those, like GB News talking heads. No, no, no. All those comedians that do like the late night paper review show on GB News. Mm-hmm. That's the Sorella oh, Writers Jesus room. Christ. That would not be a fun room to be in. It's what my TV is set to. My, the channel it opens on is GB News. And so when you like switch it on at like 11 o'clock, you get some fucking gold. I quite like that, you know, the comparisons to. Well, they, they say that the hard left sympathise with Islamists now. So that means that someone in that writing room listened to that interview with you and Jake Wallace Simons and went, that's a good point. <laughs> oh, he's a genius. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, they he, stopped he watching there. That. He did tweet that, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he was like, he was, you, were you were rendered speechless. Stunned silence. Yeah, stunned into silence. <laughs> As the left are presented with their own complicity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. He got dunked on this weekend. You see that? Why? Pogrand dunking on him. Oh, and the, and the rest of the JC yeah. as well. Indeed, yeah. Should we move on? Yes. Ed, how are you? Excellent. How are you, Ollie? Tip top. Never been better. Brilliant. 
Ava? All right. <laughs> Understated. Great. Islamophobia in the Tory party? Yay or no? Nay. I'm that, against it. Ah. That's, that is actually the party line, that there is none. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Can you stop changing? <laughs> the wrong no, 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 Ed. You made your views quite clear. <laughs> we know how you feel about this. Okay. It's a good thing? That there is none? Or that there is some. some? Right. That's my actual opinion. You didn't need to change the rule books. Because what they are actually saying is that what? No, one's, no one is saying that Lee Anderson's comments were Islamophobic. <sighs> There's quite a good offshoot to that conversation, though, which is that you, you can criticise someone's religion. That is allowed. It's like, yeah. We're just not going around calling them fundamentalists. That's mm. the sort of... I think it's, it's, the, it's the inference that because Sadiq Khan is a Muslim, mm -hmm. that he's therefore pals with the Islamists is the bit that people have a problem with. It's, it's, it's absolutely fine to, you know, we have free speech, we have freedom of religion, we live in a secular country. You can criticise religion. It is permitted. But that's not the problem that, that people have with this. Ava, what, what's going... What, just bring us up to speed. Suella writes in the Telegraph. Lee Anderson gives an interview. Where are we up to now? What's happened? Um, so, yeah, Lee Anderson is still suspended from the Tory party. He was suspended not for saying that Khan is working with the Islamists, <laughs> but for not refusing to apologise for saying that Khan is working with the Islamists. Mm. Um, but that is, that's quite interesting. So it's party politics, right? It's the Conservatives... I suspect what happened on that phone call from the whip, the upset was not what he said because he's been quite useful um, working within that category for some time now. In it's, fact, it's his role within the Conservative Party, right? It was like yeah. Rishi Sunak presents as this technocrat. He can never... If Rishi Sunak came out and said, Britain is, in, is now under control by Islamists and what's more, Sadiq Khan is friends with them. People would be like, I don't believe it when he says that. Like, I just, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't think that. When Lee Anderson says it, they're all like, ah, oh, Lee, brother. Brother Lee. Yeah. Yeah. One of us. Well, interestingly, Richard Holden, who is the uh, works of the party, he actually was going to give Lee Anderson a £10,000 pay rise, which never actually got signed off because Lee Anderson left the role as deputy chairman. Oh, yes. Yeah, so he quick. couldn't rebel. So he, yeah. Because he was going to rebel against the government vote on Rwanda and... But then, because people were laughing at him, he backtracked, right? That's, that was yeah. that. But um, he was actually in line for this £10,000 pay, pay rise. So then he must have been saying a few things that the party thought was pretty helpful. Mm. Um, interestingly as well, I was speaking to someone this morning who works for a more right-wing tabloid than here. This is... This Fucking is hell, the, uh, how they manage that? Um, but he said... He said this Sir Stormer, that's the only one. <laughs> that's, that's the only one that's more right-wing than this. He said so. that his comments will probably guarantee that he wins his seat at the next election. And it was up in the air before. This is the thing. Because when he's saying things like, oh, they should just fuck off back to France, or, mm -hmm. or like, I don't care that it's against international law, send the planes anyway. And everyone's kind of like, well, everybody's thinking it, he's just saying it. Does that count for this one? Does, does, that, does that count? I have never, I've never thought that Sadiq Khan should go to France. But maybe <laughs> that's, uh, you know that the, that's MPs, the reality the Liberals want. The MPs coming out saying, oh, well, my Tory voters are saying that if Lee Anderson isn't made king, 
of the Tory party. <laughs> they will not vote. Those MPs are going to lose their seats. Anyway, like those, like, so they have, they are trying to, the only people still voting Tory in their constituencies are the people who think like a caliphate is incoming at any point. That's a really insane thing to say or argue. Hey. Like, no, 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 not what you're saying. <laughs> well, no, what you're, yeah, sorry. Ed, you're mental, Ed. Um, no, to say, oh, my, my, my constituents are emailing me about this. Uh, it's like, so? <laughs> <laughs> so? Uh, but also, like, so oh, uh, some of my constituents are racist, so unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I am now a racist. So, so the in- concern, though, is that, you know, if you look at Wellingborough or Kingswood and they hemorrhaged about 20,000 votes in each of those by-elections, mm. and the concern there is that's when they were still Islamophobic. <laughs> and so now that they've rooted out any Islamophobia... We've really struggled, we've really <laughs> really struggled gonna- to get out the Islamophobe vote in these by-elections. <laughs> Jill Mortimer from Hartlepool, 6% chance she's going to lose her seat. Mm. Sarah Dines from a long name constituency that I can't remember, Derbyshire. Derbyshire and Dale. That's a long that name long for you. you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a clever man. <laughs> what I meant is I'd never heard of the constituency. You'd never point. heard of Derbyshire? I'd heard of Derbyshire, <laughs> not Derbyshire and Dale. One of my favourite things about Ed is that he basically knew of England as like this other place before he started working at Joe. Yeah. And then over the course of his employment in politics, Joe, he's been dispatched to like the asshole market towns of this country. Yeah. From which, one of which from which I, I come, by the way. I'm not just saying that like everywhere else in the country is a shithole. But your, your increasing knowledge of places like Bolsover or, yeah, you know, never there's, there's tons of them that you have just never heard of, but now Cambridge. are actually quite familiar with. Boston. He thought that was a city in America. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> I think you might put words into my mouth there. Believe it or not. Uh, you don't think Boston is a city in America? No, it's not. Ah. Do you think we should get a map and get the Scotsman to, to mm. point out where everything is? I'd be good in... at that. I'm not thick. Despite this. You just said so. You said you're thick. I was joking. Okay. I'm allowed We're to say We're tying it. him in knots on this I'm allowed to say Anyway, they're losing out. their fucking seats and the only people they're trying to appeal to are the nutters who haven't decided, who haven't, who are still going to vote Tory despite everything, mm. who still think that's a good idea. They're fighting over like the one, it's like bald people fighting over a comb. That's what's going on here. Thank you for allowing me the space to make that point and stop when you stopped insulting me. <laughs> Would you say that Plymouth was north, south, east or west? <laughs> South, obviously. I've been wrong, wrong, wrong. In what world is that not south? <laughs> um, electorally, this is. I don't. I. It doesn't stack up for me, to be quite honest with you, because I think there's actually a pretty significant proportion of Conservative voters who will be appalled, appalled by this kind of discriminatory language and not taking swift action. Like Suella Bradman has said, she actually went one step further than Lee Wright because she said not only were the Islamists in control, but also the anti-Semites were in control. And I think the hard left. I think she also said the hard left. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. She's still in the party. Mm-hmm. She's, she's still got the whip. That's fine. But that's, but that's, but that's, my, that's my point. As in the people who are appalled are voting Labour. The Conservative voters is such a small, small percentage now that what can you do to it? Like at this point, if you're still saying you're going to vote Conservative, like... Yeah, okay, there's, there's probably nothing that will turn you... The only thing that will turn you against you is... Ter, excuse me, that will turn them against the Conservative Party is reform suddenly becoming an attractive proposition. I don't agree with that. I think that there is a... I think there's a, a sensible number of One Nation Conservatives who genuinely believe in, like, going to church and, you know, not paying a ridiculous 
amount of tax mm-hmm. and they will vote for the Conservatives. But, but are they still there in any great number? But I mean, I, what I'm saying is, is that I think it's I think it's not fair when we say just, you know, if they're not going to vote Tory, they're going to vote reform. You know, well, it's not like... That's a, exactly the point I'm making, right? Because I think there's... There are the people who are switching to Labour. There are the people who won't turn out to vote. People forget that there's, you know, there's a significant part of the Tory <coughs> electoral map that involves contest with the Liberal Democrats, mm. right? That there is this... The, the the soft left of the Conservative mm-hmm. Party, the people for whom they will hear things like this and be like, what the fuck? What is this? This, is, this isn't One Nation Toryism. This isn't, you know, soft, allegedly soft, like David Cameron, liberal Tory party. This is insane. Yeah, but my point is they've gone already. Like North Shropshire, that would be a seat where you could get a, a Tory back in there. But, That's Lib Dem at the moment that went to Helen Morgan. But that could go back Tory. And those would be the sort of people who would go, that sounds a bit weird that one of the Conservatives is out there shouting about Islamism, Islamism fundamentalism. Mm. That's. I yeah. mean, they're, they've got a long history of this, right? They've got a long history of it. Zach Goldsmith, mm. in his mayoral campaign, um, he he said something very similar to Lee that basically sort of he had he had mates who were that Sadiq Khan had mates who were sort of terrorists. Sadiq Khan was a sympathizer. Uh, Sean Bailey during his it's basically just the Tory mayoral candidates. I'm surprised we haven't I'm surprised <laughs> we haven't we haven't had a Susan word for Susan Hall yet. But oh no, we have actually. So Susan Hall's actually said that she can't deny how disgusted she is daily by the abuse that Sadiq Khan receives. Really? Yeah, she said that even though our policies are completely different and we don't agree on much, I can identify that. Mm. Now, if you've got Susan Hall identifying it... Saying something sensible, then you've got... <laughs> so, so we're wrong? <laughs> no, no, no. 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 You, 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 your position is so warped. Susan Hall is now the sensible one, is my point. So I, I, I can't remember if I actually got the sentence out earlier, but what I was saying was I think that the whip dropped him because it, it, became, it came to blows during that phone call when he was refusing to reply. And I think they sort of dangled it as a threat and Lee Anderson just dug his heels in. I don't think that they had any intention of suspending him that day. They wanted it to just be a quick apology, brush it under the rug, move on. This is not what they planned. Yeah, didn't didn't apologise. Yeah, Sean Bailey retweeted a... um, Is it mad? He retweeted a photo that called Sadiq Khan the mad Muller of Londonistan. That's Sean Bailey. 2019, Sajid Javid leadership election bounces all the candidates to committing to an independent inquiry into Islamophobia in the Tory party. That still hasn't happened, has it? Boris Johnson, um, women in burqas look like, look like uh, letterboxes. Mm-hmm. It's a long, long, an extensive history of Islamophobia in the Tory party, I think. I think, though, so those are the more outlandish comments, right, that are quite obvious and identifiable as terrible things to say. Um, but what I think the problem is, is that we, we started out by saying Sadiq Khan is a Muslim. Then a couple of years later, it was very normal to say the Muslim mayor of London. And then a couple of years later, we started talking about Islamism. And I think that Lee Anderson is probably confused because this is the sort of language that is quite normal and has been quite naturalised over the past few years because it's been a slow, slippery slope. And it's not... To him, I don't think he sees that as racist. I think he sees that as just like one step on from what we've been saying for the past 10 years about Sadiq Khan, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, re- I struggle with this. I had people, I had people um, calling me on LBC this weekend saying it's not racist, what, like what's, what's happened. And I think that's uh, worrying, to be quite honest with you. People, the fact that people can't understand that saying that because someone is Muslim, he is therefore a terrorist... They, yeah. can't, they can't understand, mm-hmm. or, or friends with terrorists, I think is, 
the the clarification that the that Lee Anderson would insist on. They can't understand that making that jump from, you know, relatively irrelevant characteristic about an individual to to making this assertion about their personality or you know their politics. They can't see how that there's a degree of discrimination involved is in it, that, which is quite uh, that's uh, worrying. It also is being used. The term Islamism is being used to delegitimize the pro-Palestine marches, but describing it as so delegitimize British Muslims from taking democratic actions like forming protests if they can just widely be discredited as that's an Islamist thing because the average punter that people understand what Islamism is is radical fundamental Islam and if that and if you are an uninformed voter honestly not a voter uninformed person and something that's been described as Islamist it because a Muslim is doing it it's automatically discredited yeah so I mean that yeah, it doesn't stack up right because those marches there's a it's a multi ethnic coalition of people on those marches right it's not just British Muslims who are, who are on those marches there, mm -hmm. are, there are plenty of people from different religious backgrounds <coughs> different ethnic backgrounds attending those marches and just for the sort of like a sake of definition of terms what does Islamism mean it means kind of um, an implementation of of a Muslim state right it's it's the the conversion of the political process of society of governments to um, you know an, an, a Muslim one, right? That's exactly Almost. what he's doing. You <laughs> fucking get a call, Leanne, sit up. <laughs> um, and you know, people, and then people start you know saying things. So, so there's just I'm saying that because there's a, there's then shades right within Islamism. So there's you know there's peaceful political groups that are committed to Islamism, right? But they're not you you can't call them they're not terrorists. Mm -hmm. Whereas you do get radical Islamists, which are then people who are prepared to commit acts of violence, acts of terror, in order to achieve those same aims. So that's a, you know, a definition that's worth um, putting out there. And I think it's, well, I find it interesting because what are the, what are the things that people get really upset about when, when they invoke the, the boogeyman of Sharia law? Like, what are the things that they're worried about, right? It's like freedom of expression, freedom of association, the things that characterize our modern democracy. And yet, on the other hand you have a man who is prime minister and certainly not a muslim in rishi sunak legislating some of the most draconian crackdowns on our civil liberties mm -hmm. our right to protest a story this week actually coming out from the financial times that um john woodcock the former labor mp now lord walney is making a recommendation and as part of this report he's doing into um, policing political violence to possibly ban protest from outside democratic buildings like the houses of parliament if that is being that's not being put forward by muslims that's being put forward by the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. Suggests that Islamists are in control. No, 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 no. They're not. They're not mm. at all. I'm really interested about the um, MP safety conversation that's oh, yeah. been going on mm. for the past few days. I am. Um, I'm just, just, just for the that those who like to do bad faith arguments. I'm not for once suggesting. That <laughs> <laughs> I'm drafting a comment. <laughs> When you when when we're right in the shadow of David Amos and um, oh my god I forgot and Joe Cox, um, I'm not for once suggesting that MPs aren't put into danger mm. because I, I I actually find it astounding how they're allowed to walk about by themselves and people are nuts and we've ramped people up into a frenzy that means they want to attack people anyway. Well, they've just expanded that, haven't they? I think it was this weekend. They three female MPs now have yeah. um, now have security protection, which officers, is yeah. which is what Sadiq Khan has always had, and the reason mm. for that is not because um, he is you know so important that he thinks he needs security. It's because people try to attack him all the time. But I was thinking about it, and I was listening to some of like the complaints that MPs had about interactions with the public, and it, it really annoyed me. They mm. were like. 
I'll be walking through my constituency. Someone will come up and they'll want to talk to me. Yeah, you're there to serve them and you should listen to them. And there are a few Labour MPs, some of the videos that I've seen where people are quite upset about... Sorry, I'm going to sneeze. Sorry. Don't look at her when she's about to sneeze. <laughs> they normally zoom Avert in. your eyes! No, but they normally zoom in the camera when I'm about to sneeze. That's what I have to say. <laughs> Nostril cam. <laughs> when I blew, I blew my nose on here once and it's literally like you're talking and it, the camera's on me. <laughs> this is the good stuff. Cool. Anyway, um, so there was a couple of videos of Labour MPs and in those there are people who, constituents, who are asking them about their stance on Gaza and they're asking them to do something about Gaza and they're asking why aren't you listening to our protests and their response is to completely ignore them, to walk away, to get into cars and drive off. And I, I think that is appalling. I think it's your job as a public servant to listen to your constituents. You're not meant to be this really high profile person that gets to just shut the door and slam the door and say, I know what's best. I mean, look at Rachel McLean today. She's talking about how her constituents are writing into her about Lee Anderson and why he should be in the party still. Well, are there constituents writing in about Gaza? Like, mm -hmm. you know, why aren't you listening to those concerns as much as you're listening to the concerns about which MP is still in the party? I think it's really important um, to not conflate legitimate criticism, scrutiny and accountability of MPs, um, which are key parts of the democratic process, with abuse and legitimate threats of violence. Mm. Like, we're not I know you're not minimising in any way. You know, you, you mentioned it already. But they are separate things, mm -hmm. mm. and, and and it's a it's a, a political trick to conflate the two to basically say that because because I don't know um, twenty people get arrested at a pro Palestine demo that therefore the hundreds of thousands of other people that are in attendance are abu you know abusive violent, violent dangerous because um, it, it it doesn't stand the most basic level of scrutiny that you know a, a protest similar in scale to glastonbury has a similar arrest rate to glastonbury where you've got a course of a million hippies in a field on mdm islamist hippies yes islamist, <laughs> islamist. and they're on drugs <laughs> islamist hippies <laughs> the islamists have discovered ecstasy the pyramid stage of the mort <laughs> they're all high <laughs> <laughs> call to prayer you see them all singing that's the call to prayer <laughs> Chris Martin has taken over the pyramid stage <laughs> it's facing Mecca Bismillah Bismillah Chris Martin <laughs> Alhamdulillah no come on come on do you I, get those um, face Mecca say again sorry the pyramid stage uh, naturally yeah okay I heard that Chris Martin is always facing Mecca that's a good point, Always. That's yeah. why sometimes when he's being interviewed, the camera's on the side of his face. <laughs> and they don't change it. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Evis is actually a stooge. The person who runs Glastonbury Festival. For who? The Ayatollah of Iran. <laughs> <laughs> the Evis family are an op. Actually, there has been a fatwa on Lana Del Rey since she came out late that one time. <laughs> <laughs> By the radical, I was there. I was one of them actually. You put the fat one on, did yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I can do that. Turns out you can just do it. <laughs> Everyone's really receptive. Fat one. Like, oh. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> um, do we think that there are possible parallels between uh, the Labour Party's handling of anti-Semitism under Jeremy Corbyn? and the way the Tory party is engaging with its problem with Islamophobia. So what do I mean by that? 
if you look at how even in quite clear and well-documented instances of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, the tendency from the leadership at the time was to kind of bury its head in the sand, to split hairs over definitions, to get bogged down in process, rather than doing the simple thing of either accepting that it exists or apologising for it, right? And I think the, ele the electorate punished Jeremy Corbyn in part. It was a, there's a number of reasons for it, right? Brexit was one. Um, the economic programme was another. But nonetheless, the electorate was turned off in a very significant way because of how the leadership of the Labour Party at the time handled anti-Semitism mm -hmm. in the party. Do you think that the Tories should learn the lesson of that and engage with this in a substantive and not, and not say, well, we don't say Islamophobia, we say, what is it, anti-Muslim anti anti hatred? Anti-Muslim hatred was the thing that um, Kemi Badenoch tweeted. Do we think that there's um, possibly something for them to be learned in that? I think potentially, but, I, but like I said before, there's kind of what's the point for the Conservatives to learn this lesson, to, to like say to the remaining few nutters who are going to vote for them, oh, we actually might lose, might, <laughs> we actually like Muslims, it actually might be electorally disadvantaged. Mm. They, they start like, if that's the only people you're trying, not, you, who are going to vote for you anyway, then kind of what's the point? Morality? Yeah, but fuck, it's the Conservative Party. Like, like, <laughs> you're giving them so much credit for this, like, this Conservative Party. I don't know. I, I don't really see the point. Like, they should, yeah. It'd be really good if they, if they did examine their anti-Muslim structural biases and what well, Baroness Warsi has been so vocal about this for so many years. Mm. Highest profile female Muslim politician in the country, probably. Most senior. Yeah. Um, is, First Muslim cabinet minister. Has, call, has called out her party for years and years and years. Absolutely sweet, sweet fuck all gets done about it. Oh, yeah. There was what um, Swilla Bravman was saying that time about, it was about a year ago, wasn't it? About... Um, the grooming gangs mm -hmm. and that Baroness Varsi was out and about calling that racist mm. and hateful at the time. Yeah, yeah I, I think, well, I think they should learn lessons. I don't think they will. I mean, Labour have quite a serious problem with Islamophobia. Um, yeah, sorry, it should be clear. It's not just the Tory party. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah not like, sure. it's not like um, anti-Semitism Labour, Tory take the, uh, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, there's a pretty, pretty serious problem with it. I'm trying to think as well because I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this, but like it felt like it feels like there's a lot to gain out of the Islamophobia that is um, exhibited by some actors in the Conservative Party. Like it feels like there is political capital. Actually, let's let me take out Conservative Party. I think there's political capital in shouting about the Muslim mayor of London and Londonistan. Like I think there is, there's there's votes in that or potential um, at least clicks on articles on that. I think TV shows to get. Pardon? TV shows to be given. TV mm. shows to be given. Mm -hmm. It feels um, it feels like a money making exercise or something. Islamophobia which I don't really... F I, didn't, I didn't get the sense with anti-Semitism well, at the time. Baroness Varsi said it's passed the dinner party test. Sorry? I think she said, about, she said Islamophobia has passed the dinner party test. I think she said that in about 2010. What mm. does that mean? As in, at a, at a dinner party with polite company, you can be explicitly Islamophobic and people would not necessarily call you out on it. Was what she, she suggested that about. Is that in 2010, though? I, I think would, so. I wouldn't, agree with, well, I'd, I wouldn't agree with that now. But... I do think that you could do that with um, the Roma. I think mm. Roma is probably the last acceptable race racism you can do, and uh, you can you can always go for the trans if you if the Roma joke doesn't land. <laughs> Wait then, till you see uh, what I've got lined up now. Yeah, yeah, no, no, 
Um, speaking of... Do you know why I don't like that question? What you asked? I think because it's... It would actually be quite a good documentary to compare it, right? But I, the anti-Semitism, I don't... I actually had a good point and I've forgotten about it. But I don't, I don't think we should... I think it's... Um, I think it's a false equivalence. Yeah, sorry, I'm not saying I'm not saying they're the same thing. I'm saying that in that there's a lesson to be learned in how Corbyn's leadership handled the anti-Semitism accusations. So, but Corbyn's Corbyn handled them, and okay, let me take Corbyn out of it. The people around Corbyn handled the allegations appallingly, right? The Conservative Party. I don't think they mind being accused of it. I think they don't like it when um, they're being asked questions directly on air. But I think behind closed doors, they don't mind being accused of a bit of Islamophobia. Why would you write a piece in The Telegraph where you openly say that someone is an Islamist if you didn't want to be tarnished with the brush of not really liking Muslims? Mm, yeah. Or actually, or just, you know, creating fear around them? Yeah. Um, in terms of legitimate extreme, well, not legitimate, but real, uh, proven extreme ideologies at the heart of British political power and our political leaders, did you catch any of Liz Truss at CPAC this weekend? Yes. She's a fucking idiot. Moron. The... How is she still an MP? Like, how can you just, like, t- like, fuck, like think of all the... Shameless. Think of all the parliamentary, like, chaos that was in mm. there last week. She should have been there as a, a, member of the, a member of parliament, I'm not saying she could have fixed it, but <laughs> she probably made, made things worse, actually, maybe. But how do you just get to go to CPAC and talk about the fucking deep state and just lie yeah, about your career? What was it? The FT and The Economist are friends with friends of the deep state. And the trans civil servants have brought you down. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you talking yes, about? Yes, the banks, the media, Sharing platform the establishment Steve in Britain is left wing. Well, he praises Tommy Robinson. Hero, he called him, yeah. And you're still not considered part of the MP and you're still an MP? Mm. You have to be like... Imagine you like, say you're like one of her constituents and you did like help getting a new ramp for your house or something like that. So you, she's going to be no fucking help. <laughs> she's going to be sorry, actually. Uh, I'm on um, Al- the Alex Jones show later talking about <laughs> Team State. We're going to lie about Sandy Hook. I'm really busy. Ugh. Just drives me. But that's, that's a former prime minister. Yeah. That's a former prime minister chopsing up with some of the most um, hateful people in mainstream politics with Steve Bannon. And like you said, yeah. Um, didn't say anything when he said that Tommy Robinson was his hero. She's, do you think she's doing it to make money? Do you think she believe? how much do you think she I think she's it? a grifter, yeah. Yeah, and how much do you think she's making money? I think because you go from Liz Truss Prime Minister, um, you know, libertarian, free markets, IEA, the UK is now um, the the laboratory for the experiment what did that involve deregulation open relatively um actually in terms of the conservative party quite liberal immigration program right in the space of a year she takes the stage at popcon yeah most recent one yep yeah and says we need to get down to zero immigration and this is the woman who was telling you a year ago that she she wasn't just doing this because she thought it was good for the country. She believed it. This, these are her convictions. I'm a conviction politician. And whether the markets say, say no, whether the political and media class say no, I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, you've shown us the strength of your convictions. In the space of a year, you've, you've done a reverse ferret on literally probably one of the key political issues of our time uh, because it suits you. 
because you're now trying to appeal to a new electoral constituency. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think you can, you can say with, I don't think it's serious to suggest that she actually thinks the things that she's saying. See, if she actually believed what she was saying, if she thought that's legitimately what happened to her when the she was in office, state. like her, the, the reaction to that would be like, oh, I need a paramilitary force to, to, to take over the country. Like, oh my God, I'm going underground. Join me for an insurgency as we actually tackle this. Instead of being like, it's like there's no, oh, well, there's no conviction in it because she has no conviction in it. But just like standing like, to an American audience who don't really care, mm. being like, oh yeah, I was taken down by the deep state. So here's my check for thousands of dollars. It's complete bollocks. Selling a book, I think, wasn't she? Yeah, but also it's going to be shit. <laughs> I, I, I'm just sick of them. I'm sick of them again. Yeah. They're, just, they're just like, given, I'm not. Uh, I, I think we need to abolish the Conservative Party. That's my new position. Okay. I think they can have another one-party state. Ed no, Campbell, no, no, you know, even that they could have a new one just with different people. They can have a right-wing party. It just, it just can't be the farce that they've subjected us to. Look how the next election goes. I think there might be a possibility. I think there might be some wholesale they're going, to go so, they're going to be so weird in opposition. It's going to be good fun. It's going to be absolutely like just the anti-deep state warrior. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's the politics show cast. Speaking of uh, British women that travel abroad because of their extremist views, Shreema Begum. Um, (laughs) 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 That was very good. Thank you. I didn't get a laugh out of you. You didn't find that funny? I blacked out. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jacob Rees-Mogg. Unlike the ally. Shereema Beckham is British. (laughs) Shereema Beckham is British, Jacob Rees-Mogg says. It's not not wrong. He's not wrong. No, she is British. She is. Well, not anymore. Interesting question, that, isn't it? Is being British just a piece of paper that says you are, or is it something deeper than that? I think it's probably something deeper than that. But but the legal definition... Yeah. It's Tony Blair in your head, dancing to (laughs) D-Ream. It's the Gallagher brothers. Liverpool it's versus Man U on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> you can, it's like summer's in Ibiza. It's Frank can, Skinner. You can break my body. You'll never take what's up in here. That's what got her through the tough times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, YouTube, YouTube videos of the Hacienda. 
Seriously, though, is being British more than just, you know, the, the piece of paper that says you're a citizen? Because if it is, then you, 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 can, you can never take it away from Shreema Begum. It'll always be in her heart. Yeah, but I think it's also... It's a, it's, I, that's not her issue. <laughs> <laughs> her problem isn't that she doesn't feel British anymore. Shreema, have you considered listening to D-Ream? <laughs> <laughs> the worst talk line of all time. Yeah. No, I think it's like, it's just... It's, it's, she's British, and the state should have taken... I don't know. We, we, because, just because someone does something that Britain doesn't like doesn't mean they're not British anymore. Because all the people in prison who've contravened the laws of Britain, they're still British. That's it, isn't it? It's like if you're a serial rapist, serial murderer or whatever, those crimes are deplorable. But we don't say you're no longer a British citizen. Well, that's his argument, isn't it? Is that you can't just render someone stateless and that everyone in Britain has the right to trial by jury and we're not offering her that trial. We're just letting her keep submitting forms to the Supreme Court who keep bouncing it back. Mm -hmm. And that's not... That's, you know, not what Britain was founded on. It's a slippery slope, isn't it? Because if you start, I don't know, one minute you're just saying that because you run off with an IS bride, you can't be British anymore. Next thing, I've gone to Benidorm. I've had too many <laughs> Budweiser's. <laughs> I've got naked. And now I'm not British anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and what's, what's the crime against Britain there? Is it drinking Budweiser? <laughs> yeah, it's having too much fun. It's the um, it was the going to Spain bit. That yeah. was the not that yeah, was the crime yeah. against yeah. Britain. One minute. I'm trying to think what the corollary is. You're right. Yeah, for like the people that think what it, Lee Anderson said is okay. What is their equivalent of going on jihad? What do they, what is it that they do? But it's probably yeah, Benidorm mm. for like six weeks. But it's just it's just sort of like galaxy brain stupid, isn't it? Where you think like, oh, I don't like that, therefore I'm going to just. Strip you of your citizenship. It, 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 it's like, it, it's essentially capital punishment. It's because, permanent. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you, you might as well cut her hand off because what's she meant to do now? Mm. Like that's the, re that's the thing, isn't it? We, um, there's actually very little sort of permanent punishment within the criminal justice system. Right? Mm -hmm. we, we very rarely hand out whole life orders, i.e. you will die in prison. You're, you're, not, mm. you're not getting out. We don't have capital punishment because I think inherent in the justice system is this idea of, forgiveness is this idea of um rehabilitation that no one is totally defined by the worst thing they ever do in their life when you add in the fact that she was groomed as a child yeah trafficked out of the country with the collusion of a canadian spy and not only that the, the failures of the british police one of the things I've, I've, I've read about this this weekend the british police when they thought that the her, shamima and her mates were going to leave the country they gave them letters saying um to address their parents um, you're, we're warning you, your child is at risk of you know, being trafficked out of the country. They didn't give them to Shamima's parents. They gave it to Shamima. She goes, well, they won't be receiving that. Well, I am going to join ISIS, but I am compelled by respect for my family that is, that's, to inform them of this. That's so stupid. That's yeah. like, <laughs> yes, that's like when I used to, you used to get them at school, yeah. you'd get like a letter to explain why you've been, mm -hmm. I don't Disciplined. know. I actually got the most order marks of all time 
in uh, one half term. And How many was that? The two, I, I got Three. 36. So 36? 36. So I was doing like one every two days. What, what, those, are hall of fame. those are Hall of Fame numbers, aren't they? That's yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. What yeah. was the punishment? No one's put up 36 uh, in a half term yeah, before it. Well, you basically, you get three and then you'd get a letter home, but they couldn't keep up with like the demand for letters <laughs> home that were needed. 12. That's 12 and so in front of me, one of the teachers like hand wrote a letter and was like, give that to your parents. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that. I'm going to. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. Um... Yeah, but also for like really, yeah, for, for stupid reasons, like, you know, rolling up your skirt, I accidentally smashed a window in the science room, like, just like silly reasons. Accidental. There was, a, there was a brick near the window and I... Testing gravity. <laughs> I threw it through. I don't know why I did it, but I did it. And I, I actually think my mum's defence to the school was, why was there a brick, a loose brick near the window? <laughs> She's only human. She, <laughs> the temptation was too great. <laughs> what we were saying was, I agree with your point about her being groomed, but I think the point that I most align with is Jacob Rees-Mogg's point, that you should not be able to be rendered stateless. That's just... Yeah, I agree with that. No, that's well. a matter of principle. Like, I mean, it's, it's yeah. established in the Geneva like, Convention. Yeah. We're, we're, we are spending... We, we could bring her here and put her in prison. We're not saying bring her here give her a new husband and give her a house. <laughs> Welcome to the Lancashire Regiment. <laughs> yeah. Shamima, you've had a really tough time, so we're going to put you up in Glasgow. Uh, here's, no! Here's, here's a Soul House membership. And a jacuzzi. What do you think being a Royal Marine's wife is like? No, this is a different... This is separate to the husband thing. Mm, okay. You get to marry... Paul Mescal. <laughs> That's your reward. This is Brit. Oh. Is he happy about that? No, he but he's not. He's compelled to do it. Is he British? No, I didn't see that either. So what? We're doing like another <laughs> oh, crime on island. It's a double jeopardy. We're, 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 we're co-opting an Irishman into operating on behalf of the British at what state. Pa- at what part of what the, do you mean? the Good Friday <laughs> Where in the Good Friday Agreement does it say that if you go off and commit an act of terror, you have to... <laughs> you go, get an Irishman. You get an Irishman. <laughs> That's what they meant when they said there was an amnesty. <laughs> you get the sexiest Irishman. You'll get, a, you'll get a charming Irishman with the St. Christopher around his neck. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the sexiest Irishman in the 90s? Sean. Sean. Sexiest Irishman in the 90s. Oh, good shout. Good call. You get Colin Farrell if you're... He's a busy man. Yeah, probably. Isn't he still quite attractive? Yeah. Yeah, Hmm. Big name. The... (laughs) He's going to keep going. (laughs) In Bruges, great film. (laughs) Um, She... Yes, you're right. Look, it's it's a... a, As a legal matter, absolutely right. Um, She cannot be rendered... She cannot and should not be rendered stateless. But I feel like not a lot of credence is given to the fact that she was 15 years old mm. at the time. And I feel like when people commit other crimes of serious severity, particularly as children, we say they have diminished responsibility. And, and as a result... And, huh? They're not named either. Not necessarily. Not always. James Demi- Bolger, he got it, didn't he? Yeah, but that, was, that was a specific... Like, God, case. he was the one who... No, that was the boy who was killed. Venables was yes, the killer, me. wasn't he? There's two of them. Um, the, but that's the thing. The media petitions the judge to release the names. And, that was, and that's what happened in the Jai case as well. Um, but I don't, I don't know. And I find, it, I find it quite ironic, to be honest with you, because 
a lot of the people who are sort of screaming for her to stay in Syria, the, one of the things they will also, I know they will also say to you, because I was, again, was speaking to them at the weekend, is about the kind of the grooming gangs, right, in, in Rochdale mm-hmm. uh, and uh, other places. And they are full of sympathy for, rightly so, for the teenage victims of those grooming gangs, who they say, you know, they were teenage girls, they didn't know any better. Sometimes, as well, in some of those cases, by the way, some of those girls were involved in the recruitment of more teenage girls, right, into the, into the sex grooming gang. Full of sympathy for those people, like rightly Epstein so. Like as well. Yeah, because, yeah, exactly. Because they're the victims of crime. But the second you talk about Shuma Begum being groomed to go and travel to Syria, mm-hmm. there's absolutely none of that same sympathy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely none of it. And I think that's quite revealing. Where would you go if you were rendered stateless? I don't think you can go anywhere. Do you mean hypothetically if you could go anywhere? That's true, actually. But I looked it up this weekend. She can, if she gets a small boat, she can claim asylum here. If someone's stateless, if, you, if someone's stateless, you can't deport them. So, I think the right wing media would just oh, explode. Field day. That's up. If you want to know how Rishi Sunak wins the next election, <laughs> he puts her. MIC, that, they, they get that Canadian spy back on speed dial. They're like, brother, <laughs> took you up. Have you ever tried bringing someone back? <laughs> I've got your rib. I know. Gets her to Calais, gets her on a dinghy. Fucking mm. bang. Anthony Lloyd gets dispatched <laughs> to like Dover. Does an, interview, does an interview with her in, in the Grand Hotel. Yep. She's back. She's claimed asylum. And then the country just goes into fucking meltdown. Rishi Sunak, 300 seat majority. I think you're bang. You're right. There we are. We've got it sussed. We should tell the service party what to do. Not another one. It's the politics show. Cast. Should we talk about Lindsay Hoyle? The saga continues? Yes. Uh, Ava, what's been going on over the weekend with this increasing brouhaha about the speaker? Is his position still tenable? What do we reckon? Someone's been listening to someone's radio show quite often, haven't they? <laughs> mm. <laughs> every, uh, every time we do this podcast, you morph more into him. That's rude. <laughs> I just don't know what we're talking about. Um... I think she's calling me Baby James O'Brien, I think is what she's... Oh, okay. She's doing. Yeah, don't you ever say brouhaha ever again to me. <laughs> <laughs> Go on then. Um, so, there are actually 72 signature, sign, signatures on the letter, but one has actually been retracted. So, one MP decided actually... Cold feet. I got a bit, I got a bit overboard I was there. A bit trigger happy. And you've got several senior conservatives who are, who are arguing that Lindsay Hall needs, needs to be left alone. What could happen this... Well, actually, what could happen in the coming hours, Lindsay Hall will probably be poring over Erskine May and deciding whether to give the SNP another vote would be too far out of convention uh, that would rouse suspicion. <laughs> it would be out of convention. But you've got the SNP really, really fucked off with him. You've got the Tories really fucked off with him. And for some bizarre reason, Labour are annoyed at Lindsay Hoyle, which is totally mental. Because if you're going to break convention... (laughs) To literally get you out of a political bind, yeah. Can I actually just talk a little bit about this breaking convention thing? And you know what? The Institute for Government can just, like, you know, ring me up and lambast me if they want to. But, like, you know, yeah, I'm ready. Um, It really isn't actually that shocking what he did. It's not that mental. It's happened twice before. But it's on, like, a, a, a sub... Um, rule inside another huge rule part of like thousands 
of other rules, right? So if you actually think about the probability of in the last couple of hundred years of doing things once or twice out of like 10,000 options, <laughs> it's, not that un it's not that ridiculous that it's only been done twice before, you know? Sounds quite complicated. What were the two no, other occasions, do you know? No, I don't know. We should get James Heal on the phone. <laughs> they were quite some time ago. One was in the 90s, I think, if I remember correctly. But, the point, but, but what I mean is, the point being, is that it's not that ridiculous that the speaker might want to use a little bit of discretion to, you know... The, the whole argument was just was bursting my brain over the weekend because what I couldn't understand was why on earth a Labour source went to the media to brief against the speaker for helping them get out of a bind. That didn't make sense to me at all. The mm. entire row is confected party political outrage. It's point scoring. It's lost all sense of meaning. I thought it was really childish that Stephen Flynn ran off and made such a big fuss about the whole thing because it's quite likely that Labour would have then voted on the amendment and that would have passed. And we could actually be having a conversation about Gaza now rather than actually, you know, than whether Lindsay Hoyle, people have confidence in him. Mm. Sorry, I'm talking so much shit today. No, it's all right. <laughs> You're not talking shit. Um, do you think we have a tendency towards the melodramatic increasingly in British politics? That there's kind of a... Everything's always the most stakes possible. Yeah. Nothing's like a small thing. People are looking for... It's, it's grievance politics, isn't it? Like, this is, like, now the cleave within Parliament, and this is the latest thing that has been... The latest wrong inflicted upon me, so I'm going to dwell on this for a little while. Um, I think I disagree with you about Flynn's reaction. I think I think the SNP were fucked over. For, like, not this, I, I don't think Hoyle went out of his way to fuck them over. I think he was, he was motivated by his concerns for MP security, and as a result, the SNP were fucked over, and I think that's a legitimate thing to be annoyed about um but it's not what's the end goal of all of this it's to get the uk parliament's position uk government's position to be we need to stop the bombing on gaza mm -hmm. right we need to stop the bombardment we need to stop the fighting would this not have got them a little bit closer to achieving that outcome and in what world is de-platforming the speaker of the house going to contribute to that oh, well i think you're getting at it because part of it certainly was yes get getting the UK Parliament's stated position to be that. The other, probably similar, of similar importance to the SNP certainly, was the fact that it put the Labour Party in a ginormous political trap. Mm. That their MPs were either going to have to vote for the SNP motion, in which case suits the SNP nicely and, and you know, gets, the, gets them some points versus Labour up, up the road. Or they have to abstain or they have to vote against it, in which case you've got all of these Labour MPs still voting against a ceasefire in Gaza, Q constituency outrage, Q electoral consequences for Labour in a whole host of seats <coughs> with significant proportions of Muslim voters. The fact that the SNP was denied the opportunity to force Labour to, to walk into that trap is one of the, the reasons why they're so angry about mm. this. And that's why I'm annoyed about it. I want to believe earnestly that the SNP do really actually care about what's going on. And this is so in a machinations my tanks are on your lawn yeah. shut the fuck up like th there's something more serious you know there's something actually important happening mm -hmm. i think it's, i think it's two things happening at once mm. i think they can be on one level they can be pleased that the part that, that a resolution has gone through and also be annoyed at the machinations of parliament being turned against them i think those two things probably exist within the SNP at the moment and the conflict between them doesn't necessarily delegitimize the other i think people are are complicated 
True. They are. They can support the SNP and be Rangers fans. Um, <laughs> he ran. He was like, you know, actually, I'll just I'll stop going in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just want to just want to read the boys for filth, you know. <laughs> Shut the fridge. It's the politics show. Cast. We've got a little. We've got a little segment now. If if Ed Campbell can do an interview segment on the podcast, so can so can Ollie Dugmore. So and yours will be just as well received. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, buckle up, listeners. Um, <laughs> so I've interviewed Vladimir Putin. <laughs> um, I interviewed a documentary maker. His name is Andy Haywood. He spent 2023 in Russia documenting how dissent is crushed, state propaganda is in overdrive, and fear is everywhere. Released on two years to the day of Putin's invasion of Ukraine, his film Warped by War, Inside Putin's Russia, is available on Vice's YouTube channel now. Still? Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was published two days ago, so... <laughs> yeah. I, I hope it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> you might find that now on our YouTube channel. <laughs> Andy Hayward, hello. How's it going? Hi. Very good, thank you. Good. Good to be here. Very glad to have you here. Um... We're going to be talking about your film, Warped by War Inside Putin's Russia. Before we get into it, um, tell viewers who you are. So my name's Andy Hayward. I'm a filmmaker, producer, journalist. Until very recently, I was working at Vice, and now I'm freelance. So this documentary is filmed inside Russia. It's about Russia, a year inside Russia. So can you just sort of begin by describing what life is like in Putin's Russia? Give us a sense of kind of the everyday in, mm. inside the country. Well, I think for a lot of people... There is a lot of apathy and kind of burying their heads in the sand for a lot of Russians. I think working there, you're, you're, you realize you're in a place that's very interesting and it's kind of the heart of a huge news story. But at the same time, it's also a place where a kind of less is happening than ever before. Because the nature of, of, of this kind of Russia Putin's created is it's been 20 years where he has wanted apathy. He's broken down independent movements, autonomous, you know, political movements or, you know, even more innocuous things sort of seem to no longer exist in Russia because I think there's a real fear that grass move, groups movements can go somewhere and they're uncontrollable. Mm. So you get a real sense of sort of suppression now. I mean, what Russians actually think and feel about the war, I mean, there is quite a lot of good polling out there, but even polling doesn't really necessarily show the whole picture. I think there isn't much enthusiasm for war, even if support is is quite high. Mm. So I don't know, there's there's it's 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 quite a surreal place to be. I mean, in the film obviously we've got a lot of interesting people we spoke to, but I mean the, the real effort was trying to get people to talk to us because a lot of people don't want to speak to you. They don't have much to say, particularly in the way we wanted to make a film which was like, you know, going to people's homes, you know, see the kind of work they do, sort of get under the skin a bit more. Like a lot of Russians, you know, they're wary of foreign media and they've got a lot of reasons to be wary of foreign media and being associated with foreigners. So that in itself was hard. But yeah, I mean, I, th I think there's there's a sense of apathy and, you know, it, it's kind of quite a surreal and strange place to be where you're not quite sure what everyone thinks and feels. So what's it, what is it like then being foreign media in that country? How are you treated by the authorities? Uh, I mean, it, 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 it really depends. I mean, after Evan Gershkovich's arrest, it's kind of unclear how foreign media is being treated. And I mean, certainly after he was arrested, the way we were working changed quite a lot because the status quo was com completely broken. I mean, you know, that's the first Western journalist to be arrested since the 80s. So it really meant that you 
you didn't quite know where the line was anymore. Like previously, people like Sarah Rainsford, they were deported. You you know, you can be fined in Russia as a foreigner. And often if you if you got some administrative charges, say you'd like accidentally gone into the border zone or something, place where foreigners aren't meant to be, maybe you'd get deported, maybe you'd get fined. That seemed to be like the worst that would happen. But after Evan, you know, there really isn't an upper limit on what may may happen to you. I mean, there's still... A good number, not many, but there are still quite a few West outlets, you know, like Steve Rosenberg, BBC, Sky News, NPR. They have people there or people in and out. But it, I think they've just basically created a, a sense of fear where you don't know where the where the line is anymore, basically. And end up possibly being arrested on Trump's up espionage charges like Evan did. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and that was very naught to 60. That's the thing. I mean, since the war, they passed loads of laws that were, you know, discrediting the military as a crime, which in, in actuality means saying something the Russian government doesn't like about the military. It could be a true thing about the military, it could get you arrested. But instead of arresting them for something like that, they went straight to espionage. So, mm. I mean, it's, that was, that was quite a, a severe escalation. I mean, bef before his arrest, I was always like, well, I think if they start deporting a few people first, if they start arresting someone for one of the lesser charges, then, you know, I thought it would be like a graduation mm. to like, maybe it's time for us to get out and stop working here or change what we're doing. But I mean, it was very much like, you know, and also at that time, a lot of journalists had come back to Russia, like foreign journalists, Western journalists, because after the the invasion, the the laws were changed. There was a lot of people going, well, what's the new status quo? We should get out of country for a bit and get see. So at that time, like a few journalists were like, well, it seems like it's actually okay. People have been putting out some work. They haven't really been mincing their words too much in there. And Russia is still going by the premise, well, you're publishing in English, you're publishing in a foreign language. We're not too bothered about what you're saying to a foreign audience. That mm. used to be the status quo. So journalists were coming back in and then Evan was arrested and, you know, it's all up in the air about what the new rules are. Well, okay. Um, just before we go a little bit further, can I just say hands on the table? Sorry, I'm no, tapping right, Don't worry, the mic, the mic will pick it up. Um, okay, so Russia invades Ukraine. What sort of narrative about the invasion and the war more generally is available within Russia? I mean, there's there's kind of one narrative, but then there's also sort of many narratives. I mean, it, there seems to be an approach of sort of throwing a lot of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks, basically. So, and the narrative has shifted somewhat over the war. I mean, there's obviously the very clear hyperbolic, you know, these are Nazis in Ukraine and they need to be challenged. That has probably died down a bit, but it is still also sort of a mainstream bit of the rhetoric because this war has been tied into the Great Patriotic War, what Russians call the Second World War. So it is sold and still being sold as a continuation of that struggle, essentially a struggle of good versus evil. So, I mean, that messaging hasn't really shifted too much. Mm. I mean, there is some polling to suggest that actually less, less Russians are watching TV. So again, there is maybe a degree to which there's a disengagement with it. Russians don't want to hear it. But I mean, there's a lot of victimhood. You know, Russia has been, uh, you know, wronged by the West. It's been wronged by America. It's a great power that has been humiliated. Like it is, it is kind of a bit of a, uh, a snowflake mentality in a way. Like, like, you know, like this, this great nation that's been insulted and humiliated. And, you know, it's interesting that the other sort of laws that have changed since the course of the war is, you know, further restrictions on sort of LGBT plus communities. So there's also this bit in which it, 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 they see this as part of a sort of cultural struggle against sort of mm. decadent foreign ideas as well. So 
but I don't, again, it's hard to know how effective it is. It is, it is a lot of noise and there are true believers who believe in it, but they're, they're also pouring a lot of money into, and this is something we touch on on the film, into basically you younger platforms into the internet, putting propaganda out on the internet as well. A lot of it though, I, I do think it, it does, it does work to a degree. And I think the, the most worrying thing is where we might be in sort of 10 years time, if this is a, an ongoing conflict, because Russia now, there's a lot of people who, you know, they had Twitter, they had Instagram, they had an outward facing world. They've been to, to Europe maybe multiple times. But now you've got a situation where patriotic lesson, lessons in school, uh, new sort of emerging youth movements, and the fact that if, if a child is growing up in this propaganda atmosphere now, well, also you've had a real brain drain of sort of diverse ideas as well with people who had different points of view leaving the country. I think that's it's worrying where it, it might be in a, few, in a few years' time. I think at the moment, it's still sort of struggling to get a hold of people who remember the world before. Mm, okay, so on that point then about differing ideas, I mean, what shape does opposition take? Is there any kind of meaningful or extensive dissent? I mean, we'll, I think we'll come to talk about Navalny um, later in this conversation, but just sort of on like a general population level, how does opposition find expression? Does it find expression, full stop? I mean, basically... No, I think I think is the case now. I mean, I think that's this is a twenty-year project. Putin, even from the beginning, it was clear he had authoritarian tendencies, and they've only increased and increased and increased. So I think today, I mean, I was there. Like the invasion happened overnight, but the next day people went to protest, and they went to protest. You know, place like Pushkin Square, famous place in Moscow for protests, and everyone that came there, they were just getting chucked into the backs of vans. They, the, the square was already like barricaded off. No one could actually congregate. There's no move, like leaders to any political movement anymore. They're all in exile or incarcerated. So, and, and on a very practical level, like, you know, there, there's a good, like at least 20% of the Russian population who don't agree with this war and certainly don't agree with Putin. But like, there isn't really a meaningful way for them to to gather or congregate or express their ideas anymore. I mean, you can go out as many people did. I mean, probably not as many as a lot of people would like, and I understand that as well. Like, But they go out and they get arrested and you get fined, um, or maybe you get jail time. It, it doesn't really achieve much. Mm. I mean, the, every sort of, apart from the fact that Russia has technically oppositional parties, the managed opposition, you know, the Liberal Democratic Party or ultra-nationalists or the Communist Party who, who, you know, they guess vote with the United Russia all the time. There is these uh, faux oppositions, but I mean, they, they don't provide any real opposition. I, I mean, there isn't really, you know, Ilya Yashin and Vladimir Karamurza, like these other oppositional figures. Again, they're also in prison. And obviously, Navalny, it's, yeah, there, there isn't really a voice. People resist on a personal level. I mean, that's what our film is on, on some level about. It's talking to people who are, you know, they'd call themselves in the activist space, but they're not known people, but they're people who were resisting in their own way. And you see the consequences for their very mild opposition, what happens to them. Like there, there isn't a space for free ideas or free expression or autonomous movements. I mean, even if you go back sort of five, 10 years in Russia, you know, had groups like the Night Wolves, the bikers that supported Putin, Putin, or like sort of football hooligans who were sort of nationalists. And there was these, or these movements that seemed, that had like some degree of autonomy, but they were maybe nationalists and still pro-Putin. But it's, you just seem like there, there isn't really any movements at all. And even when they, they've had like, 
you know, like you see people out in a crowd with Z's or Luzhniki Stadium celebrating something. These are all such fictitious events. They're state workers who are sent there. It doesn't mean that they might not support the war. They might. But they're not there on choice. They're there because they're told to go there and they're told to do social media. So a lot of the events I've been to, like the annexation, when they announce the territories they're taking in in Ukraine were now officially Russian soil. They they integrated the regions. Um, yeah, every, people we asked, they were they were workers. Most people said they did support the war, but they were sent there because they were state employees. Mm. So like everything is kind of astroturf. Even like like I think there's a real fear of of a genuine movement of whatever stripe it is, and you see that with something like. Uh, uh, Wagner or, or, or Strelkov, the, the, the pro-war blogger, these pro-war people who have now become, and they were pro-Putin, but they potentially turn on Putin as they have done. They've become some of the most critical voices. So that's the thing. If you allow autonomy, even if it is initially on your side, mm. there's a risk it can then sort of come back at you. Tell me about these activists then. Um, tell me about Artyom. Tell me about the people you, you interviewed. So Artyom, I mean, he's one of of many sort of cases you can you can choose in Russia. He's someone who, after the mobilization, the military draft happened in September, October 2022. He went out in response to that to protest it. He's a, a gathering of probably 15, 20 people max, public gathering in, 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 a, in a square, and he's reading poetry to this group of people. And he is arrested the day, the day after. He is violently arrested. He's also gone to his partner, sodomized with a metal bar during the arrest, filmed in humiliating positions. His partner, Alexandra, who's also in a film, is is beaten as well. And, and that's for a, a poem, a few words of poetry. And not not particularly uh, like outrageous either. I mean, they were they were sort of anti the war. I mean, the thing is, they, they were kind of a bit nuanced. Like, I, I can't really easily explain them to yeah. a viewer because it wasn't like down with Putin or anything that 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 strong. But what they believe happened was a, a sort of provocateur, someone with sort of pro-government, pro-Kremlin beliefs or works for the state in some capacity, filmed them, submitted the video, and the security services decided to act. And, that, and that's the thing about Russia. You might not be necessarily arrested because of something you say or do, but the thing is you could be. There, there's so many examples of someone like Artyom where they have stepped out of line in some way and then the whole weight of the law has been thrown on, on top of them. Um, like in the film, he's facing 10 and a half years is, is, is the maximum sentence he may get. Um, so, yeah, you could say something to a friend in a bar, critical of Putin or whatever, and, and Russians do, and that's fine. But the thing is, the wrong person hears it or someone decides to make an issue out of it, it can become a very big problem for you. As echoes of um, sort of East, East Germany, Stasi Germany. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you make of former Fox News journalist um, Tucker Carlson? interviewing Putin is he kind of a, a useful idiot in all of this yeah ab absolutely I mean I this kind of strain of, of of sort of the right particularly in America I mean it, it does exist here to a degree as well but where they see sort of common cause with Putin uh, I think because they see him as almost I don't know if it is it as reductionist to say as they see him as a kind of bulwark against like wokeism or something mm. against the fact that he's He's turned against sort of progressively social, uh, like socially progressive ideas. Is it as simple as that? That he's a strong man. I mean, I, I think frankly it's quite embarrassed, and particularly with the timing of uh, uh, like Navalny's death as well, to be going around Russian supermarkets sniffing bread and and putting tokens into supermarket trolleys. Um, I mean, this is yeah. No, I mean, I, it's 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 just really sort of embarrassing. I mean. 
within his fan base, maybe maybe it'll it, it'll do well. But I mean, you're in the you're in the capital of an authoritarian state. Yeah, it's going to look pretty clean and swanky because that is not Russia. Like Moscow is, there's there's huge wealth disparities in in Russia. Twenty five percent, twenty percent of Russians don't have indoor toilets. But that that's one side of Russia. You know, part, you know, and the average wage is is low. The Russian economy, I don't know. If, was maybe around the size of Spain, I think probably a bit less after the war. But I mean, that's a country of 150 million people. That's not a very big economy for that size of nation. So to be going there and sort of, you know, sort of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, worshipping the altar of, of sort of, uh, of, the, of the Russian state. And, yeah. the suit, and he's being impressed by the, the bread. I mean, the bread in Russia is fine in the nice supermarkets, but you know, it's... It's nothing particularly special. <laughs> We've got it. We've got the scoop. The bread yeah. is not all it's made out to be. Yeah. The bread is not all it's made out to be. But also, I mean, I mean, you know, what a what a fumble with the interview. You've got guess Putin giving a monologue, a monologue he's given, you know, numerous times before. Mm. Um, yeah, great get to be sitting there with Putin. But I mean, that's also the lie that Tucker Carlson said that you know no other journalist has been it. Plenty of journalists have asked. I think Steve Rosenberg said for the BBC said he asked four times they've requested an interview. Mm. There's a reason Tucker got the invite. Damning. Um, let's talk about Navalny a little bit. You mentioned the sort of the the, the unfortunate timing of of his death in relation to that interview, um, and also possibly it might not actually be unfortunate, right? It could be, mm. could be completely intentional. Um, how was Navalny viewed in Russia? Would people talk to you about what they thought about him? He, he didn't come up too much. I guess in some ways, maybe we, he wasn't too relevant to some of the things we were asking at that time. I mean, it's interesting at a moment, like we had a lot more people bring up uh, Prigozhin during our time there, um, which is an interesting one because obviously like he's kind of uh, certainly pro-war and pro-war people did bring him up. But I think he also was kind of interesting because he was someone who was also critical of the status quo. Mm. And in a in a vacuum of Russia where there's very few people who could be outwardly critical, I mean, someone like him, surprisingly, people did mention him. But back to Navalny, he's, I think, to some degree, he was viewed as a more metropolitan figure by a lot of, a lot of Russians, like, you know, someone whose base was more in, 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 you know, sort of Moscow, St. Petersburg, people who were a bit more educated, which I think is true. But I mean, I, I think that probably sort of dumbed down, dumbs down the complexity of him as a figure. I mean, obviously he had like a sort of nationalist background as well, um, which maybe to some, I, 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 you know, I think, he, you know, he apologized for some of the things he said earlier. Maybe to some degree it was political expediency, he thought it was a useful thing to be. And I think to some degree that is also true. Like I think he had more of a broad impact than some figures because he did have a bit of a populist streak. And also, you know, the Overton window of, of sort of Russian politics is quite different from, from sort of British politics. As a rule, generally people are a bit more nationalistic um, and jingoistic probably. So I don't know, I, I, you know, but I think you, you can't really dispute his, his bravery to go back. I mean, I've heard some people said he kind of thought maybe an uprising would come from him being arrested. I don't know if that's the case. I mean, I, I think, like like he said, he thought if, if you're going to be an oppositional figure, you need to be in Russia. And, you know, he did avoid meeting European leaders. He didn't want to have his movement and the message be discredited by being seen as a sort of lackey or a stooge of the West. And I think I think that was probably quite quite shrewd of him. Mm. And, you know, I mean, 
the fact he probably had a more nationalist edge to him also probably made him more of a threat. And I think the fact that Putin didn't want to say his name also is sort of indicative of, of how powerful a figure he was. Mm. Um, Since he died, his wife's been removed from um, Twitter, mm. uh, owned by Elon Musk. Both he and Carlson like to kind of characterize themselves as bastions of free speech, of, you know, standing against cancel culture. Um, closing remarks from you, I guess. What, I mean, what would you... What would you like to say to individuals like that about the actual state of free speech within Russia? Well, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't exist. That doesn't mean not any individual could hold an opinion because people can hold opinions. But the fact is, there's there's been a creation of a state of sort of paranoia and fear where you might be okay, but if you do say something potentially, you could face very severe consequences. There isn't there isn't free speech there, and I think any sort of whitewashing or sort of you know, pretending about what the state of Russian society is, I think it, I think it's just very dangerous. And and for people who claim to be journalists, is is guessed wrong. I mean, it's a very complex and diverse society, but it, you know, it is a society with a lot of poverty. It is a society where you know the free exchange of ideas doesn't really exist in any meaningful way, and that's not going to get better soon either. I don't think. Uh, Andy, where and when? Can people watch your documentary? So it's coming out on the anniversary of the invasion, full-scale invasion. So that's, uh, yeah, on the 24th of February this Saturday. Um, where will people be able to find it? On YouTube. Perfect. Vice's News' channel. Andy, thank you so much for taking the time. Really Lovely. appreciate it. Lovely. Thanks very much. Ed, fascinating insights by Andy there. Yes. Thank you. It was brilliant. Ava? You've not done the interview yet. I think I think that it's interesting that the fall of... I've done it. It's in the can, mate. Okay, well, you haven't shown it to me. So I think I'll no, you've, you've broken the illusion for the audience it was that he's unfair, here and was, I just spoke to it him. It was unfair of you to spring that on me and get me to comment on something I've not had the opportunity to see. That's your methodology for most I of your podcast, a... isn't it? <laughs> huh? I had a comment. How dare you interrupt Ava when she was trying to speak, Ed? Mm. Sorry, Ava, but... please. I was going to say, I thought the full... The inner machinations of, of the Kremlin were very similar to that, those of Vice... And, you know, we've now all seen what's happened to Vice. We've annexed it and given it to Putin. <laughs> Imagine that's what you thought had happened to Vice. <laughs> Putting Kremlin propaganda, not just Saudi propaganda. That would have been funny. We've annexed it and given it to Saudi Arabia. It's, fu- it's, it's just fucking sad, isn't it? Yeah, gutting. A lot of people losing their jobs. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Vice used to be good. I'm not so. I'm not so sure if I would say the same. I mean, this documentary is fucking awesome, but I don't know. I think they got a little bit lost, a little bit in the weeds, but that doesn't mean that they should fucking fold. No, but then also it's, it's a management thing as well, isn't it? If you can manage it to decline, then they were still paying themselves bonuses. The bosses, yeah, like six-figure bonuses, which is absolutely insane. Uh, it's How? also kind of punk, though, isn't it? Do you think? That's yeah. the most fun thing we've ever done in They aren't radical anymore. Have they tried running the company into the ground by paying themselves extortionate bonuses? That's radical, man. We're not going to North Korea anymore. I'm getting a Lamborghini. <laughs> Whenever I think of radical punk, I do think of like... Brewdog. Thames Water. Mm. Yes. Fujitsu. Yes. Do you know what's been radicalised in actuality? The area of Richmond... In London. I saw you were there yesterday. Yeah. They, the Radicalised how? Uh, the amount of fucking Ted Lasso tat everywhere is insane. They've been radicalised by Apple TV. What One do you mean, Ted Lasso tat? Where? In Richmond. Like, being like, this is Ted Lasso's barbershop. 
This is but he's, a, he's a fictional character. Yes, I know. That's my point. They've been radicalised into thinking it's a good television programme and that he exists. Well. Are you sure? Where whereabouts in Richmond? All over. Sorry to God, it's just like like Ted. Like, there's a there was a. No, I'm I'm very familiar with Richmond. But there's like I just a, haven't seen this takeover. In in all in all like genuinely like every one in every three shop window was like a cutout of Ted Lasso, and like this. Who's that for? Is that for Americans? There was we walked past someone doing a, a Ted Lasso tour of Richmond. There's a Ted Lasso military industrial complex in Richmond, and that's the real the real radicalization of the country is terrible American comedies taking over. Your lovely girlfriend just hoping to get some lunch and a nice day out, and you're just you're going on screaming. about it. Like... And you're there taking her on the walking tour of the Ted Lasso. <laughs> no, I don't like Ted Lasso in Richmond. It's bad. This is a cover. It's bad. You are a shill for the Ted Lasso military industrial complex. That's not true at all. I've just said everything to the contrary. <laughs> Who do you fancy more, Ted Lasso or your girlfriend? My girlfriend, I like Ted Lasso. <laughs> nah, do you know who you you're love Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's shit. Do you ever tell her when we... For God's sake. To... <laughs> what, when we say things like this on the podcast, do you tell her that it's here? Uh, no, it's a test to see if she listens. <laughs> she doesn't listen. <laughs> if she listens, it'll be good because she's consuming my art, but it'll also be bad because you'll have an argument with me that I didn't stick up for her. <laughs> I did stick up for it. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. You both love Ted Lasso. <laughs> yeah. I love the Ted Lasso money I get for shilling for them on this podcast. <laughs> from giving the tour. Yeah. <laughs> right, fucking shut up, Eisenhower. We're moving on. Um, Eisenhower. <laughs> yeah, military industrial complex speech. Oh, okay. His, like, his, his warning, his, his parting warning to the American people. Very good. Ain't no one going to believe you once I run these campaign ads. <laughs> Ted Lasso till I die. Um... Well, I don't know what Ted Lasso is, actually. It's an Apple TV series. She's doing her thing where she pretends she doesn't know what football is. No, no, I swear to you, I actually don't know. It's a very popular drama TV show is about it? an American football coach. I, I, I didn't realise that everyone had Apple TV at this table. I didn't realise that was something we were all viewing things. No. Succession, eh, not Succession. Severance is worth a watch on Apple TV. It's very I good. don't have Apple TV. I'm just aware of culture. Right. Um, I live in Richmond. <laughs> <laughs> You actually moved into Ted Lasso's flat. It's me. Uh-huh. While we've been on, while we've been chatting, Everton have had their points deduction reduced. Oh, really? Six oh, points. So you're out of the relegation zone now. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> we can get back there. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> Just give us a couple of weeks, boys. <laughs> nice. Um, five nil at the weekend? Yes, good result. Good result for, for the girls. Um, Did you go to that Wembley game that everyone was talking about? League Cup final? No, I didn't go to the League Cup final. <laughs> Why not? Call yourself a fan. Call yourself a football fan. Why weren't you at Wembley? <laughs> Fucking plastic over here. Yeah. Oh, there weren't oh. any tickets with the Prawn Sandwich Brigade, so he didn't go. What the hell was that going... What's going on with that girl who couldn't get a ticket? Do you mean Astrid Witt? Oh. Do you not know who Astrid Witt is? No, no, I don't. No, I don't. Who is Astrid Witt? You know who Astrid Witt is. No, I do. You're a moron. You sound very familiar. Who is she? She does. I believe you don't. You do. Who is she? She's a Chelsea OnlyFans person. Oh, wow. You're a fucking pervert. Because you know who's <laughs> someone who comes up on Twitter all the time is. Well, speak for yourself. My algorithm doesn't show me things like no, that. No, it just shows you mutilations. I, I just get snuff videos <laughs> from the Ukraine front lines. I just get... Only fans of people promoting themselves to football Twitter. How mm. much do you pay her every month? Oh, let me check my bank statement. <laughs> <laughs> Too much. Too much. <laughs> what does OnlyFans come up as on your bank account? A charity donation. <laughs> 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 Palestine Relief Fund. Oh my God. 
Yeah, it's great. It's that's really raised some suspicion because it's Ted's, uh, Ted, Ed's, <laughs> Ed's just um, tried to apply for his Conservative Party membership. And then go through his bank statement. He's like, no, 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 this is actually porn. <laughs> <laughs> this is a woman in a Chelsea top fingering herself. Ed. <laughs> that's <Sorry>. disgusting. <laughs> Why would you talk about something like that? Ava didn't know what porn was. <laughs> I think I just I really hate the word fingering <laughs> so horrible sorry strumming yourself what's wrong with you <laughs> I, I, I quite like this game can you keep going for more and more vulgar synonyms for fingering strumming um... <laughs> wait get your girlfriend on the phone no, shut the fuck up <laughs> did you know he talks like this <laughs> he says some horrible things about women <laughs> Strumming. Astrid Wett is a Chelsea fan. <laughs> I, I like her opinions about football. <laughs> the fact she fingers herself on camera has nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. Well, during the game. There is on the pitch. No. <laughs> At half time, it's the half time show. Someone had to, someone had to, <laughs> watch <it>. this. <laughs> someone had tweeted that did she did she actually get a ticket from that was someone else's sons? No. She was like her ticket was fake and she couldn't get in. And so she got a ticket from some random man. And then this random man was like, I gave her my son's ticket. I don't believe that, to be fair. I think that's pro I think that's promo. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. And he had his flies undone. Of it was amazing. <laughs> Imagine, imagine, like, the, the degree of being a simp that you, you deny your son tickets to possibly his first cup final so that you can sit next to a 27-year-old porn star. What's her name again? Astrid Wet. Astrid Wet? Huh. How do you spell that? W-T-T. W-T-T? E-T-T. E-T-T. -T. E her name is Astrid Wet. I don't think that's a real name. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> What's your name? I'm Christina Horney. <laughs> it was just like some nominative determinism. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, she really did get someone's dad's ticket, someone's son's ticket. Look. How divorced. This guy gave me his son's ticket. He saw my tweet and saved the day. I don't think he should. I think that's and not true. And if you zoom in, his... His flies are undone. Okay, that's true. I don't. I don't think that. I think that's a fake. How? Photo. What level of divorced would you have to be? You know, it's alternate weekends, custody of the son. Oh, yeah. You've and you've managed. It took you months of negotiation with your bitch of an ex-wife <laughs> <laughs> to get little Timmy on Cup final weekend. You had to switch him around. He's not going to be around for two weeks. Nightmare. How divorced do you have to be that when that woman? Tweets saying, I need a ticket, you go, fuck you, Timmy. What if, the, what if Timmy's bad vibes, though? What if he's just not like Well, enough? considering he comes from a broken home, he's probably bad vibes, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah coming from you. Exactly. <laughs> what? <laughs> my whole, like, journalistic character arc is because I was spurned by my father for a porn star <laughs> as a young man. <laughs> Would you have ever forgiven him for doing that? I'd probably fucking dap him up. I'd be like, get some. No, you what, what, you at six years old. Yep. You at six years old. Crush yeah. it, brother. That's so, that's so rank. Flies are undone. Legend. <laughs> High five again. Fucking yeah. Did you just have sex with a nineteen year old? You fucking ruled it. <laughs> that's so grim. Uh, I mean 
maybe she offered him like unlimited subscription or something like that. I don't know. I, I, I don't think she. I think that's. Is a How much of her constituency is Chelsea fans? I don't know actually. Would it be cheaper to subscribe to her and watch her fingering herself and watch the game rather than get a Sky Sports subscription? <laughs> I think it would be true. <laughs> I imagine but, there's probably a rights problem there. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think she, she broadcasts the, the matches. Gym. Yeah, I think she just fingers herself. No strum when streaming. <laughs> <laughs> Knuckle deep in the foreground. I came into work today. And I thought. We need to make. We need to do more politics on the podcast. Well, this is the end. They can't be. They can't be angry about this. We're so, well, this is. We're so. Yeah. I don't think anyone's listening still. At this point, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. If you're still listening, get you a podcast. I can do both. Twenty minutes on the culture of fear in Putin's Russia, followed by fifteen minutes on words worse than fingering. <laughs> if you're still listening, drop an alternative to fingering that's not strumming in the comments. No, don't do that. Why? Because. I don't want all the comments on the YouTube to be like that. But I can't think of another one. Well, can't they just put like a finger emoji and then we'd know. Or do either or. Or come up with one. Have you only got one synonym for fingering? Strumming? Think strumming yourself, yeah. Can you think of another one? I don't have time to list them all here now. <laughs> Scream. you got to scroll. Thank you for asking, Eddie. <laughs> About time. Someone must have one. People, Sean, Finn. They don't let me read this on LBC, Johnny? actually. People wonder what's written on this piece of paper every time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Urban Dictionary. Ooh, tickling the pink. <laughs> Feeding your own pony. Stop it. Feeding your own. <laughs> Is that not good? Ted Lasso. Ing. Yourself? Yeah. That's not as good. It's not, is it? No. Oliver? If I speak. <laughs> <laughs> you've got too many. Um, I'll wrap it up, up unless you've, you've got anything else you want to contribute, Edward. Is that, was that your synonym for fingering? Wrapping it up. <laughs> No, he's against them. <laughs> Are you happy? Yeah. You proud of yourself? Yeah, I think it's quite funny. Can you end it? See you on the next one. <laughs> Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.